Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by Red or Dead, Book Riot's mystery thriller podcast. Grab your sleuthing hat readers and get your thrills with Red or Dead, Book Riot's bi-weekly mystery fiction podcast dedicated to the worlds of mystery and thriller literature. Join hosts and genre experts Rincy and Katie as they catch up on mystery and thriller news, chat about new releases, and recommend your next mystery and thriller reads. Get Red or Dead, that's R-E-A-D or Dead, on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 85, and we're recording on August 5th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with my guest, author, theoretical physicist, and sister from another mister, Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we are stirring the embers of debate in a match between the science fictional films Paprika and Inception. So before we get to that, Chanda, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I am Chanda Prescott-Weinstein. I am a theoretical physicist. I'm an assistant professor at the University of New Hampshire in the Department of Physics and also core faculty in women's and gender studies. And I think about early universe cosmology, so basically the origins of space-time and also what is the dark matter and how do you make galaxies with it? Yay! And I'm very excited for your book that's coming out soon-ish. Yeah, I guess I should mention my book. (laughs) You should mention your book. (laughs) I am. So my book, The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space, Time, and Dreams Deferred, is available for pre-order now at your favorite bookseller, and it will become available on March 9th, 2021. So just a few months away. So please help me out and pre-order a copy. Thank you. (laughs) I'm very excited. I feel like it's sort of, I mean, we talk about science fiction, but it's kind of like, you know, I feel like every science fiction nerd wants to be able to spout off real science facts. And I'm not good at that, but I like the idea of being good at that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what I'm hoping to gain from reading your book. Okay, so before we start talking about Inception and Paprika, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Hawk by James Patterson. This is a story for a new generation of Maximum Ride fans. 17-year-old Hawk is growing up hard and fast in post-apocalyptic New York City until a perilous destiny forces her to take flight. Hawk doesn't know her real name. She doesn't know who her family was or where they went. The only thing she remembers is that she was told to wait on a specific street corner at a specific time until her parents came back for her. She stays under the radar to survive until a destiny that's perilously close to maximum rides forces her to take flight. 
Bookless Review says expect Patterson's return to the Maximum Ride universe to soar to even greater heights than before. So if that sounds like your jam, you should definitely check out Hawk by James Patterson. Thanks so much for sponsoring today's episode. All right, let's talk about these two not very new movies. (laughs) And... I don't know if everybody knows uh, about the debate about Inception versus Paprika. I don't know how to pronounce it. Paprika, Paprika. But there was a debate back when Inception came out that these two movies were very similar. And some people were actually claiming that Inception stole the idea from Paprika, which is also based on a book, which came, of course, before the adaptation. So there was lots of conversation around it. And we thought it would be a good idea to talk about it again, because Chanda, you've actually read the book, which I haven't. Yes. And I assume you enjoyed it. Um, the book is complicated. I don't know, should I say more about the book before we've kind of given an overview of the films or? If you want to like talk about your experience with it briefly, you can do that. I think that you probably, as long as you're not giving, well, you can give things away. This is a spoilery episode. That's another <laughs> thing I should say. We're going to spoil a lot of things. So if you haven't seen Inception or Paprika, you should probably watch those two movies before you start listening to this. Or if you don't care about spoilers, please listen. So if you want to say like a little bit about what you thought, unless it's way too confusing to even talk about briefly. No, I guess like, so So the premise of Paprika, right, is that there's technology that allows people to go into your dreams. Mm-hmm. And this is also the premise of Inception, right? So that's that's one thing that they do share. In the case of Paprika, the book, the book has a lot of stuff that's not in, in the film, which is an anime film made by Satoshi Khan. And actually, the way that I think about the film is that it is the improved version of the book, because the book actually has a bunch of like home borderline definite homophobic stuff and also some anti-Semitic stuff in it, mm. um, which was like really complicated for me to read as a Jew. But also the, the book is a Japanese book. And so there were questions for me there about like cultural context that was like maybe missing. But Satoshi Khan took all of that stuff out for the film. So actually, I was a big fan of the film. And then I read the book. And I was very surprised to see all of that stuff in the book. And that said, the book is, the book is actually interesting. But also as like a queer Black Jewish woman, it was weird to read. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I almost thought about, we were talking about this before, and I almost considered reading the book and I didn't, but I am sort of glad because I, I would not have wanted to come across that stuff. But it's good to know in case everybody out there is thinking about reading Paprika to know that there's content like that in it if you want to avoid that stuff. So I will talk about Inception a little just to give everybody the gist of what that film looks like. And then if you want to talk about Paprika, the film afterwards, I feel like people will sort of get the gist of how these two films are maybe kind of similar. So Inception 
is a film that was hugely popular. I'm sure most people listening have watched it or at least heard of it. And it was directed and written by Christopher Nolan, also very well known. It was done in 2010. And this is a science fiction thriller. And this long con movie, which I never really thought about in this way before until I watched it again a couple days ago. So it's this kind of long con movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, and Ken Watanabe, among other people. And there's this group of thieves who basically steal ideas by breaking into their dreams. And they're hired to plant this idea instead of stealing one from the dreams of whoever they're thieving from. So Saito, who's Ken Watanabe's character, sets this up as a sort of con of a lifetime with really high stakes. And right from the start, you're in the mix, you're in the action, and you know something is coming to a heads. And so it's high stakes for Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Cobb, who can't return to the US because of this event in his past that's central to the movie. And Cobb's wife, Mal, who keeps appearing in these moments of inception where the team enters these dreams, she keeps borking the situation. She keeps messing it up. And Cobb is sort of only partially honest with his team about the situation with Mal until until Ariadne, who's Ellen Page's character, enters the game as the architect building this sort of dream landscape. And with her on the team, the group, including Arthur, who's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, and Eames, enter the dreams of this man, Robert Fisher, who's the inheritor of a major corporation played by Cillian Murphy. And they're trying to influence this big impending business decision on behalf of Saito. So that's kind of the gist of the film. Lots of dream stuff, dream tech, and thievery, basically. Do you want to try and take a stab at describing (laughs) Paprika? Because I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't know where to begin describing this movie. (laughs) Yeah, Paprika is an interesting film. So as I said before, it's anime, right? So it's not live action the way that Inception is. And the gist of the film is that there's a device called the DC Mini that is invented in in the future. And these neuroscientist researchers are using the DC Mini to observe the dreams of research subjects. And it turns out that one of the researchers, Dr. Atsuko Chiba, is illegally, like against the rules of the company, using the device to do like psychotherapy with clients like outside of the company. And in these like psychotherapy sessions that she's doing, um, she's not just observing people's dreams, but she's like going into the dreams as a character. And in the dreams, her character is Paprika. It's her alter ego type thing. So essentially what happens in, in the story is that people start to go crazy. Um, and I don't mean that colloquially. I mean, like, literally, like something is not meshing between the people and reality. And it happens very suddenly, like someone's having like a rational conversation. And then suddenly, like they're basically doing like something that looks kind of like a Heil Hitler salute, actually, mm-hmm. and like maybe jumping out of a window or something like that. And so it becomes clear that someone has stolen the technology. 
And it's not clear who has stolen the technology or like what their goals are. And so this film is essentially, you know, Dr. Chiba and another doctor who's like in love with her trying to navigate staying between the world of dreams and the real world while trying to figure out basically who's killing these people who are like doing things like jumping out out of windows and like kind of losing it. And it has like this really kind of incredibly fabulous denouement that like, I don't know if I should say anything about it beyond that, except to say that I think that this movie was actually the first anime film that I ever saw. And it gave me a deep appreciation for what you could do in an animated format when you're making films for adults that you can't really do with live action. And so it's literally just a beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful movie to actually look at, especially as the the stakes get even higher and higher in terms of the the trying to stay with reality, but getting pulled into the dream world. And I think the other thing that's worth saying about the movie actually is that it has an incredible soundtrack by Susumu Hirasawa. Um, so Satoshi Khan really knew what he was doing when he picked Hirasawa to do the soundtrack. And so it's like this, I think watching the movie is this incredible like visual and auditory experience. At least it is for me. I don't know if that's how you experienced it. I absolutely did. I actually at the end of the film, and it was like the second time I'd had that experience, I wanted to get up and start dancing because of the end credit soundtrack, which uh, like, as you said, the soundtrack is incredible. And it is absolutely visually stunning. I didn't remember a lot about the movie going into it this time around, because I think the last time I watched it must have been a few years ago, maybe like five years ago. And this movie came out back in 2006. So it was around a long time before I even watched it. But I did remember that it was really bonkers. Like, I definitely (laughs) did need to rewatch it a second time to get a better idea of what it was about. Because I feel like this is one of those movies where whether or not you're coming to quote unquote correct decisions about what is actually going on or or you're catching new things, there's always something new to find in a rewatch of this film because there's just so much happening. And it is so visually stunning that your eyes can go all over the place. So I really enjoyed it. And I was watching it this time thinking about it in relation to Inception, which I watched before I got into Paprika. Maybe just so it wouldn't influence whether or not I thought they were similar. But I don't know about you. I I thought that there were definite aspects of Paprika where I saw that Inception must have been at least in some part influenced by Paprika, especially visually yeah. speaking with some yeah. of the scenes. Did you get the same feeling? Yeah, I definitely... It was funny. I watched it with a friend and he and I had kind of like a back and forth about this. I don't agree with the people who say that like, you know, Inception is this like some American ripoff of Paprika because the storylines are are pretty different, right? Mm-hmm. Like I really think Paprika is like, especially as a film, is 
a serious commentary, and I think also the book is a serious commentary on what it means for corporations to have power over us. And it's a, a really careful sort of meditation about like, you know, what happens when people with power aggregate more power using technology. Mm-hmm. And they're also, they're also like, it's clearly asking us to think about like the ethics of what would it mean to have technology where you can go into people's minds and then have the option of, you know, finding ways to get them to do something. And I do think that Inception also raises that question, but it's not asking you to think a lot about kind of what the ethical issues are there. Whereas I think that that's like a central point that Satoshi Khan, who directed Paprika and co- co-wrote the, the screenplay, wanted you to walk away thinking maybe that device seemed cool in the first five minutes, but like, I don't want anybody doing that. And I don't want any corporation, like I don't want it to be legal for any corporation to be doing that. And I'm not mm-hmm. really sure that you walk away from Inception with that same like sort of driving moral question. And I think part of it is like Inception, as you said, at heart is a heist movie. It's a heist movie with this like really interesting sci-fi component to it. And, you know, it's Christopher Nolan. It's like really deeply thought through. And, you know, as far as like filmmaking goes, it's really high quality film. But it's a fundamentally different storyline. And it's and, and ultimately, it's a redemption story for Leonardo DiCaprio's character in, in some way, right? Whereas yeah. Paprika is not, is, if it is at all a redemption story, it's a redemption story for love in some sense. I feel kind of like that's how you can characterize the ending without like really giving it away. And... I guess like the other thing I would say is that like the the relative like sort of visibility of women and the role that women play in both of the films is like radically different. So I would just say there are a lot of differences, but it's clear that Nolan had seen Paprika and was like, yeah, that's a neat concept. What can I do with that concept? I agree. And I think that maybe where the wrath perhaps came from in terms of the internet reacting to this, specifically people who had watched Paprika before, was perhaps that there wasn't any mention of any sort of influence from Christopher Nolan, where it did seem very evident that there was some influence. But again, I agree, like, this is a very different story. It's, I would never say that everything about the plot of Inception or even most things about the plot of Inception reminded me of Paprika. So we're going to get more into that in a moment, but I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor first, which is Court of Lions by Samaya Dowd. And this comes to us from Flatiron Books. So Court of Lions is the highly anticipated second and final installment of the international best-selling Mirage series. Two identical girls, one a princess, the other a rebel, who will rule the empire. Dowd's prose is described as poetic and rich, and the book has a satisfying climax. This is according to Kirkus Reviews. And the Nerd Daily says it's an excellent story that builds momentum until the very end. I know there are lots of fans of the first book by Samaya Dowd. So if you've been waiting impatiently for the next one, you should check out Court of Lions by Samaya Dowd, again from Flatiron Books. All right, now we can get into the nitty gritty of both of these movies. And you mentioned about how how women play a role 
in these movies. And I thought it was really interesting because I think we had been talking about it before and you were talking about some stuff from Inception where it seemed like maybe there wasn't as much representation of women in the film. And this is, of course, both of these movies are by men. So nowadays, I think when I first watched Paprika, I wasn't aware as I am now of things like that. But now I do definitely watch movies, especially movies made by men with an eye toward how the women in films are treated because there's been lots of conversation about it. And I was really most fascinated with Inception and Ariadne's character because there was so much she was sort of like to me she came across as a bit of a linchpin in terms of Cobb's character's issues but I mean I think it's interesting if anybody is super into mythology like the very fact of her name Ariadne is based on the legend which is Ariadne was a problem solver and, you know, was associated with mazes and logic puzzles and ethical dilemmas and things, and then was also treated terribly in mythology. So there's that. And so I was kind of watching her character and was more fascinated with her character than I was with Cobb and even with Cobb's wife. But I don't know if maybe it was because I was clinging to any sort of woman character. So what was your experience with either Inception or Paprika and the women characters? I feel like it really jumped out to me immediately. I was like commenting to my friend. I was watching Inception. I was like, it's a lot of men in this movie. Like it's just Mm -hmm. like man heavy. So we have two women total who appear in the film. Like, I don't even actually remember any other women who were not extras appearing in the film. I really think it's only two women. It is. And one is a figment of the guy's imagination slash memory, right? So only one of the women is actually even real, (laughs) like in in the time period that the film is covering. And the other woman, I was trying to find the word for it, right? Because like Ellen Page's character, she's a white woman. But she in many ways reminded me of a like kind of mammy caretaker type figure without the racial overtones to it. Yes. But she's basically there to hold his hand and be like, you know, should you really be doing X? And what about, you know, have you considered communicating with your teammates? Which is like, what? Are you like managing your husband's career or something like that? Like there was a little bit of like, he can't handle himself. He needs a smart woman to take care of him. So there was, I would say like, that's probably like the biggest weakness in Inception that stood out so strongly. And I don't know if it's because the film is from 2010 and in 2020, the the bar is like a little bit higher for like, you know, people are more aware of the Bechdel test, or maybe it's just the kind of movies that I choose to watch that I don't end up watching movies. That's like a bunch of men talking to each other about other men all the time for the entire movie. (laughs) Like the, I don't think that there's one scene in that film that passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> so, and I guess actually, you know, th- that raises an interesting question that maybe Paprika has some of the same issues, except that the central figure of the film is a woman, is a woman mm-hmm. scientist who is like 
in a lot of ways, like this carefree, powerful intellect who can also still be like vulnerable and femme. And none of those things are in tension with each other. So I think that when I first saw the film, I was like, this is like, I like, I like her. I like Paprika. Like she is a compelling character. So I think even though actually in Paprika, she might be the only female character, the film really sort of centers on her. Mm -hmm. And I would say like, you know, in terms of passing or failing the Bechdel test, I think it does fail in the sense that like, when they're having conversations, they're always talking about another man. It's always her in a conversation with a man. But I think like when I first saw it, I was doing my PhD in physics. And so that actually seemed like a pretty natural environment to me. I was like, of course, she's a woman in science. She's surrounded by men. Everybody around her is a man. At the time, most of my friends were men. And so that actually didn't seem super unrealistic. It seemed like actually a fairly realistic portrayal of the life of a woman in science. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> I really like. I think I identified with the character for that reason. As I was like, "Look, it's a woman in science making it, and she's she's like the hero of the story, right? Like her brain is the brain that can withstand all of this." Yeah, I mean, in terms of like plowing through Paprika's problems or internal struggle, or you know, Ch- Chiba Atsuko. I would definitely go there. I would definitely loiter in those internal discussions and conflicts than I would with Cobb's sort of sad sack, man missing wife issues. And I totally agree about how Ariadne is this sort of caretaker for him. And I was trying to remember with Christopher Nolan movies as well. And I think that's like not, not abnormal for his movies. No, I mean, that's what my friend said to me. It was like, yeah, like that's, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Did you feel that way about Batman? And actually my response was no, because I expect Batman to be kind of about a man and be kind of, I don't know. I expect it to kind of live in the universe if we care mostly about men and not about women. (laughs) And definitely, mm-hmm. like, not really about envies. I actually think, like, Marvel does a better job than DC on the whole, although Wonder Woman is, of course, a wonderful character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the Batman thing, I feel like I have heard a lot about, and there are a lot of opinions and contentious feelings about Batman, <laughs> which I totally agree with. And, I mean, I used to watch the animated Batman when I was a kid, but now I'm like, hmm, there was a lot wrong with that whole picture, and definitely with the Christopher Nolan stuff. But Paprika was super fascinating to me as a character as well. Like I do not have, I don't know the world of science in the way you do at all. But I thought that the fact that she was the leader of this project for this dream sharing technology was really cool. And that we really got to develop or see her develop as a character as this woman who is dealing with this dream sharing device that's sort of been stolen and is being used in all sorts of bad ways. And then we get to see her alter ego, Paprika, and kind of figure out, well, why is, why does she have this alter ego? What's going on with her that she needs to have this other 
part of herself in her life in order to go into people's dreams and help them out. And there were so many questions with this movie that I never really answered for myself, but I felt like the exploration of Chiba's character was really interesting anyway, regardless. And also, I think that the I was reading a piece about Paprika, actually, and it was talking about how the movie is following surreality. I can't say the word. So it's really surreal. And it comes across very bizarro and bonkers. And maybe the point isn't always to figure out what's going on. Whereas in Inception, it's very, it's like typically science fiction, like it's very, it follows specific rules, and they do all the explaining and they have this sort of technology. Whereas in Paprika, there are things where I sort of have to suspend my disbelief where, for instance, you can watch people dreaming on like the video screen or the laptop screen or whatever. So I thought that the differences in the actual technology that's being used were interesting as well. Like the one, the dream sharing device in Paprika was sort of this thing that you just sort of fit over your head. Whereas in Inception, they had like this big clunky sort of suitcasey thing where it seemed very complicated and they were doing all this stuff. And I don't know, I I thought that that was kind of an interesting difference as well. And I felt like it was kind of part and parcel with Christopher Nolan's take on this type of story versus the one in Satoshi Khan's adaptation. So did anything about the dream sharing technology or the differences in the ways they explained the science of the dream sharing affect you in any particular way? Yeah, I guess I was listening to you and I was thinking about, you know, just coming back to this question of, you know, how much of Inception is taken from Paprika. And I think the interesting thing about the book is that the book actually focuses a lot on the police because the police get really involved in trying to figure out who has stolen the technology and is using it without restrictions and is entering people's dreams. And so actually like the central figure of the book is a police officer who is, is is part of the search. And so I was thinking about how it's almost like maybe someone who was reading Paprika the book would think, okay, what if I looked at this from the point of view of a criminal who had stolen the technology? And maybe that's the impetus for the storyline that forms Inception as a film is you're actually looking at that whole storyline from the point of view of the criminal. Oh, yeah. And so in that sense, I almost feel like it's like part two or something like that. Or it's like, and now if we turn the camera around, we can look at it from a different angle, sort of. But I have to say, like, as a scientist, I was kind of like, you know, what's happening with this technology? What are these like liquids? How are people hooked up? I actually found... Mm -hmm. It to be, for, for my taste, more cleanly done in Paprika than it was in Inception. And it might be, I think I need to see Inception again, because m- me watching it to discuss it today, it was actually my, it was my first time seeing Inception. I had seen Paprika like many, many times. So maybe I needed to watch it again and spend more time with it. But I also think, you know, Inception's a long movie. Inception's like two and a half hours. Yeah. 
And paprika is an hour and a half. And so paprika is really like, it doesn't have time to not get to the point. And so there's a lot of like getting to the point and less concern for trying to make you believe that, you know, there's a detailed science that you can see on screen. And I don't know if that's really a function of maybe because paprika was anime, that it doesn't need to show you that kind of detail. The one thing that appears in Inception that I found kind of fascinating that wasn't in paprika was the idea of layers of dreams, like going to sleep and having a dream inside of your dream. That doesn't happen Mm -hmm. in paprika. So I thought that was pretty innovative and really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept of, you know, there was a lot of architecture involved in Inception and there was a lot of them. There was even one moment where they were trying to explain like IRL science about like this staircase. I already forgot what it was called. But they definitely tried to set this up as this is actually a maze. This is a thing that exists and there are layers to it. And they do have to. Part of the thing that I did find thrilling about Inception was, like you said, these dreams within a dreams and the ways that they had to sort of problem solve their way out of each level. Like they have the kick which is the thing that'll bring them back to the next surface of the dream. So they go lower and lower in this dream, almost like, you know, it like in Dante or something like that. And then Mm -hmm. in order to go back up, they have to have these kicks, which are basically like most of us have felt this before where you're having a dream where you're falling off your chair or something, or you're falling down and you sort of startle awake. And that's the kick. That's the thing that brings you back. And then in the movie, they have to, like the ending, the, the second half of the movie goes on. Like, I feel like that was where I was, I had forgotten how long it takes to get to the end. And so they have to each, they sort of each get staggered on these levels and they have to have these kicks that bring them back and they have to time it just so. And that's, that's sort of like this built-in thrill ride like that really makes the movie a science fiction thriller because you are on the edge of your seat or at least I was waiting to see if they would make the kick and if they would come back and then there was also the concept of what happens if you die in the dream and you miss the kick And you end up in this sort of state of limbo, which, again, does feel very like divine comedy. So they end up in the state of limbo. And maybe you come out, maybe you don't. Maybe when you come out, you don't even know who you are or what the difference is between dream and reality, which is at the crux of this problem Cobb has with his wife. So I thought that that was really fascinating from the angle of Inception being a movie where lots of great pains are taken to explain why this world, why this science is the way it is and how it works. Whereas Paprika, I definitely felt this sense of I'm in it for the ride and to discover what the actual 
Like, I didn't know what the problem necessarily was. I didn't know what the heart of the problem in the story was. I didn't know what was going on with Paprika or Chiba and how it would develop. So it was more like unraveling the mystery of this deeper question, which is probably more like the moral or ethical question at the heart of this story. So yeah, it was both of those, those two just on the level of concept were so that is where I see that there is a huge, huge difference between these two movies is the science of it all or the lack of explanation in science in Paprika and the great pains taken to make this to make Inception very science fictional and very explainy in the way it did. Yeah, I I was just thinking like maybe the difference in the portrayal, you know, it's funny because like when you asked me about the technology, the thing that I started talking about was like how the machines looked and how the machines worked. <laughs> That's an interesting part of it. Which was like totally different from like when you were thinking about how does the science work, you were thinking about like how does it work to drive the plot. But me, gadget geek, I'm like, how did the machine work? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess like I'm thinking about like, you know, one of the substantive differences is that I feel like by the end of Inception, I know Leonardo DiCaprio, like I know what's messed up about that dude and like what he wants and, you know, his hopes and his dreams and his griefs. And I know so much about him. I know like a little bit about like, was it Mr. Fisher? Like I know a little bit about like one of the other characters, but basically the other characters are like there to advance this plot that works around the main character, right? Yeah. Like, they're all kind of, like, help figures, but, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I don't really know what that dude's deal is. Like, why is he? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I asked myself, like, many times, like, why is Ariadne, like, why? Why is she still there? Because, like, I'm, like, my friend, I, I watch, like, horror films with it with a group of friends and one of my friends in the group Kamala has like the Kamala moment which is like the point at which you're like peace I'm out like the Kamala moment comes like early I think which is like this dude he ain't right let's go yeah <laughs> so I definitely feel like there's that whereas in Paprika I feel like I get insight into everybody Sometimes because they're telling me like you know their monologues their things that they're telling us but a lot of it is that we actually see inside their minds. And in Inception, they're trying to create logical landscapes inside their dreams, right? Like that's part of how this heist works is that they create these landscapes that are fairly believable, right? Yeah. Whereas in Paprika, it's actually like, these are not, these are fantastical landscapes, and really fantastical, like weird things are happening and people, things are totally out of control and out of order and, and all of that. And I think because of that, you get a feeling for all of the different characters, like what, who are they? Even if like, I couldn't tell you like exactly like what their favorite song is, I can tell you I have a feeling for who that character is by the end of the movie, even with less time with them than you get mm -hmm. with the characters in Inception. And so I think that that's another really, I mean, that's not necessarily a plot difference, but that's certainly a stylistic difference in terms of the storytelling. And again, I think that with Paprika, that's you couldn't have made this movie as a live action movie. I think it is the movie that it is because it's anime. And also 
I'm, I actually really didn't like the music in Inception. <laughs> the music, I thought it was too bombastic and it distracted me at points. And also I was like, you know, it felt like I was watching a movie about something much more globally serious of like great significance to all of the human race. But Paprika is the mm-hmm. film that does the, this is globally significant to all of the human race film. Inception is like, this is of great significance to this one dude who hopefully you care about because otherwise, why are you here? That's so funny. I don't even remember the music in Inception now that you mentioned it. I was annoyed. <laughs> I think it just sounds like so many other like dark blockbuster movies like it has a very like template feel to me so maybe that's why I didn't especially like now when it's been so done it didn't even I didn't even think about it but I do think I I totally even with with all of the characters in Inception there was almost like this dead-eyed acting style (laughs) Which I was just like, oh, everybody's kind of this mannequin working around this thing that's happening. Whereas uh, totally in Paprika, everybody was really dynamic and had specific personalities that had specific ways of interplaying with the actual plot and what was happening. The only one, the only thing I was like about was Tokita's character who is Chiba's or Paprika's colleague, Chiba Atsuko's colleague, and some of the ways him as a fat person, some of the ways he was depicted, like the fat phobic sort of thing. And I remember in some anime that I used to watch back when there was some of that, there was that style of poking fun at people. And I've never, I I went into it the second time thinking about that and wondering how I would see it. And it always sort of made me uncomfortable because here's spoiler, if you didn't already know this was coming, but Chiba, Atsuko, and Tokita end up together romantically. And I thought that that was a sort of, okay, that's happening situation. But I still came away wondering why they had to depict Tokita in the ways they did in terms of how he is as a fat person in the world. And so that was my my one qualm with the whole movie. Yeah, I th- I have always struggled with that aspect, particularly since like again, not being Japanese, like it's somewhat out of context for me that like maybe it's actually even worse than it looks to me, right? Yeah. That there was something interesting there and in that I think there's a gender analysis to be made there, which is that they never would have so actually adoringly portrayed a fat woman, particularly of his size. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of stuff about like Atsuko is like very frustrated because like he's so big, he gets stuck in things. And yeah. there's like, there is that kind of like, And he's very sweaty, right? So he has hyperhidrosis on top of it. So there's a lot of like, this is a, he's a big, fat, sweaty guy. And at the same time, he's also the genius behind the the making of these devices. And she also kind of perceives him to be kind of childlike. And so 
you know, there was something there that I wasn't sure about, like, is the childlike thing supposed to be connected to him? Is that part of a trope about fat people in Japan that feels different than troops that we have here in the United States? But, and I, I also at the time, and I continue to wonder, like, was that what was seen as progressive around fatness? Because mm. at the end, she realizes that just because she finds him, and, and I should say, this is like not in some ways a great outcome, like sort of physically appalling in the real world, doesn't mean he's not in some ways like, you know, a love of her life. Um, because yeah. what she's truly in love with is his mind, which is almost saying like, you know, escape your body, escape into the dreamland. But he's also, the thing is, is that he doesn't stop being big in the dream world. Yeah. So there, there are different ways to interpret that. Like maybe she's actually realizing that there's something beautiful about his physicality and that part of this is her journey of realizing there's something beautiful about his physicality, but she needs to be in the dream world to see it. That's, that's one way of thinking about it. But again, like, I don't think, you know, the roles can never be reversed. I, I don't find it believable that anybody would have made a movie and gotten away with selling it and having audiences like it if it had been about, like, you know, a generically good-looking guy who's, like, very slim and well-toned and all of that who fell in love with a fat woman um, who is also a genius. Like the, there's, there's something there about like, he's still allowed to be redeemable as a person because he's a man, even though he's yeah. fat and fat being somehow like a qualification of his humanity, but one that he can overcome. And I, and I agree. I think that that's like, to me, that's maybe the biggest part, biggest problem of the movie. But I also think that he was trying to be progressive and like failing miserably on this point. <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe that's an overread, but it doesn't feel like intentionally hateful. It just feels like casually hateful, I guess. It does. It does. I think you're right. And I can absolutely see it as a product of the time, but also... I I will just have to come away. I have accepted with having a big question mark over some of the elements of the story. And that's probably going to be one of them. But I thought that this was definitely a compelling tale. Perhaps one day I will actually pick up the book, but maybe not. Maybe not considering how much reading in general there is to be done in the world. But I think that it was really interesting watching these two movies side by side and seeing where they fit and where they didn't. And I came away from it feeling like I definitely watched two completely different movies and one of them I absolutely enjoyed more than the other. So do you have any final thoughts you wanted to throw out there before we ended this one? Yeah, I'm I'm torn about it. Definitely paprika for me, it's it's problematic. And you know, there's always that question of what if this movie had been made by, you know, people who were not fat phobic and had been made by a woman? Like what how different would the movie be? Mm -hmm. But it continues to be that paprika spoke to me in particular ways and again is a visually stunning experience. 
I didn't have that same experience with Inception, although I think there's so much happening in Inception that I will need to watch it again. And definitely there's enough there to watch it a few times. Although I really think an editor should have just had a conversation with Christopher Nolan about how much of that winter scene he filmed. <laughs> like, that oh kind of goes on. I'm hoping that when I watch it again, there will just be like things in there that are like really interesting. But it was a little bit like, and now the part where lots of guns get shot and it's kind of like, okay, dude. I mean, I'm not actually against action films, but it just wasn't even particularly compelling action because I was already like an hour and a half in. <laughs> yes, I labored over that scene as well and was like I definitely felt like they were suddenly trying to do some sort of weird James Bond or something and I definitely think Christopher Nolan needs some women on his writing teams and across the board actually I was gonna say at least he has a writer's room but actually he wrote that movie by himself didn't he yeah so yeah and Tyler Perry <laughs> Both need a writer's room. Get your writer's room together, Christopher Nolan, please. (laughs) Well, it was lovely to talk about these movies with you. And hopefully we can do this again one day. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course, it was a pleasure. And that's it for our show. So SFF Yeah is sound edited by... DR Baker, many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com and please review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Where can people find you online, Chanda? You can find me on Twitter, which really just search my name because I'm trying to spell it out. It's IBG Yongi. So if there are any Big Bang fans out there, what's up? Um, And you can also find my website, profcpw.com. And again, you can pre-order The Disordered Cosmos at any bookseller, except for Powell's right now. What's up, Powell's? What's up, Powell's? (laughs) (laughs) And you can find me on Instagram. I'm at szainab williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.